TV Kids Summer Festival. I'm Kristen Brzezowski, Executive Editor of TV Kids, and I'm speaking with Brian K. Roberts, Co-Executive Producer of the new DreamWorks Animation Preschool series, Not Quite Narwhal. Hi, Brian. Hi, so good to see you. So how did this project come about and how did you come on board? Uh, so it started with Vanessa Taylor Sands, who was our development executive at DreamWorks TV Animation, uh, the one that worked on this project. Uh, and so Vanessa had the rights to the book and was developing the show. She'd started working on a pitch with Nakia Trower Schumann and Sarah Caton, who ended up being the co-EPs on the project with me. And they were developing the pitch. And as they were getting it ready, uh, you know, we had Netflix in mind as a great partner for this project. And so um, they were getting the pitch ready and decided that they wanted to have uh, an animation test that they could show as part of the pitch. And that's when they brought me in. I was uh, finishing up Dragon's Rescue Riders at DreamWorks TV. And Vanessa called me in one day and showed me the book and said, hey, would you be interested in helping out with uh, this project, this development project? And, um, you know, the thing about this book is like, if you read it, you're in love with it. And um, so once I read it and, you know, realized what an incredible opportunity this was to get to build on that world that Jesse Seema created in the book and um, to explore new adventures with kelp, uh, total no brainer to say yes to that. And so, uh, so I helped direct and produce uh, an animation test that we could show as part of the pitch when we, uh, when we gave it to Netflix. Tell me about the inspiration taken from the original books and how this series builds that out. Yeah, the original book, uh, Not Quite Narwhal, written by Jesse Sima, was really our North Star. And whenever we were doing anything, thinking about stories, thinking about characters, we were always pointing back to that North Star as our inspiration, the thing that we were aiming towards. Um, and also something we wanted to live up to because, um, you know, like I said earlier, to read the book is to be a fan of it. And so we all wanted to do Jesse's story justice and really honor it with the series itself, even though the series is a different thing. One of the main big ways that it's different is that in the original book, it's a picture book with text, but there are no other named characters in the story at all. And so, you know, if you're telling uh, 26 half hours, actually 52 11 minute episodes, um, you need other characters. So we had to build out that world and um, sort of uh, look at what made Kelp special, what made him unique, but then also fill the world with other special and unique characters, both underwater and in unicorn land above water. What are some of the messages that the show imparts for this young audience, since our little Kelp identifies as both narwhal and unicorn? The big storytelling hook um, of the whole series is that because kelp is narwhal and unicorn and because he's lived underwater and now is learning about unicorn land that kelp has a unique perspective on anything um he's the only one who has been in both worlds and being in both worlds and having those experience in both worlds um, leads kelp to have a, a unique perspective a unique way of solving problems um and that really um helped inform our storytelling. And, you know, I think a lot of series have a very sort of didactic binary, like this or that, you have to choose between this, you have to, you know, if you do this, you can't do that. Um, and we sort of learned pretty quickly when something tasted, didn't taste like our show, 
um, you know, and we get pitches that that sort of felt, you know, <laughs> stereotypical of of you know what another series might do, where, you know, oh, it, it's a pitch and it's about a a baseball team, and Kelp has to decide whether he's gonna whether he's gonna be true to his friend or whether he's gonna be on the baseball team, right? Um, and we would get pitches like that, and and anytime it was like an either or, we knew that that wasn't our show. Our show was always about the and. It was how could Kelp, with his unique perspective, figure out how to put the two things together to make something new. Um, and so that that really gave us a unique way of telling stories, uh, and that was all driven by Kelp and what made him unique. And how is representation embedded in the larger narrative and with the other characters with different abilities? Yeah, so representation, um, diversity is something we talked a lot about. Um, and I, I want to start by saying um, that whenever you're talking about these things, that it really requires an atmosphere of sort of openness and generosity. Um, and so that applies to the room. I think hopefully it'll also apply to our conversation right now, um, you know, because we all come at these conversations with our own backgrounds, our own biases. Um, and our own expectations of, you know, the right way and wrong way to say things and do things. And um, I will say it leads to a lot of interesting, sometimes even awkward conversations, <laughs> uh, you know, because you're talking about things like um, ethnic and racial coding in fantasy characters, right? You're talking about how does a black unicorn need to look uh, when you've got this multicolored rainbow of care of unicorns that could be any color, what makes them black? Is it the voice? Is it the hair? Is it the eye color? Um, and so we ended up having lots of, you know, interesting and again, sometimes awkward conversations about what a black unicorn looks like, or, um, you know, we also have a unicorn who has a prosthetic limb and I'm pretty sure that's the first unicorn character in mainstream media that's ever had a, you know, a prosthetic uh, appendage. And so, you know, that creates a whole lot of interesting conversations as well. Um, so yeah, lots of interesting, awkward, lots of interesting and awkward conversations. One really important thing throughout that process has been, um, using consultants who we bring in to help, um, sort of hash out some of those ideas and talk about, you know, I mean, really specifically, like does a unicorn coated as black need to have brown eyes like is that important and you know we actually decided sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't um it's sort of you know just like help we found the end so what are the keys to embedding important themes like we just talked about inclusivity and self-acceptance in a way that's not too overt but is still effective sure one of the big keys to the type of representation and inclusion that we did in this show is that we wanted to have as much of it as possible while talking about it as little as possible, uh, which then is sort of ironic now because we're talking about it here. <laughs> but, you know, my hope is someday we'll get to the point where all of us as creators are doing such a good job with this that it's not the story anymore because uh, it's just, you know, expected. It's the default. Um, but one of the principles was that um, we actually didn't, when we had a character who had a difference, uh, you know, which number one, all of our characters have some sort of difference, but for example, Ricky is our, um, unicorn who has a prosthetic limb. Um, uh, when she comes into the show, we actually never 
ever talk about it. Nobody ever asks her what it is. Nobody ever asked her what happened to her leg, which by the way is good modeling that that's, <laughs> we don't ask strangers to give up their, you know, personal medical history for the benefit of our curiosity. Um, and so that was really informed by uh, Respectability, which was our disability consultant on the show, uh, Lauren Applebaum and some of her staff uh, were a big part of helping inform my personal sort of ethics that I, that I hold to when talking about sort of disabled inclusion. And, um, you know, another key was the off-screen inclusion, things like having a very inclusive writer's room. Um, but another part of that is having that writer's room be a safe place where people feel comfortable talking about their personal, you know, histories and their personal experiences. Um, if you don't have that culture of openness and generosity, then people are never going to open up and bring those experiences uh, into their storytelling. Um, so that was also a really important part of it. Talk to me about this visual process of achieving the looks for both Unicorn Land and the underwater world. Yeah, the uh, it was so much fun getting to build both of these worlds. You know, a lot of times when you've got a story with a character who starts in their ordinary world and then goes to a fantastic world, the ordinary world is usually really boring and drab and you know, not a very exciting place to go back to. But because kelp was going to be living in both worlds, we wanted the underwater world to be just as sort of beautiful and fantastic and magical as the magical unicorn land was. Um, and uh, one of the fun things we did too was find ways to make the worlds uh, sort of mirror and reflect each other. So we've got just real subtle things like above in unicorn land, there's like flowers that look like seashells and octopuses and things like that. Underwater, there's uh, seaweed that looks like palm trees and uh, coral that looks like mushrooms. And we also realized, you know, when whenever there's like underwater stuff, there's always the little things floating in the air or floating in the water, like the little floaties. We realized that was a lot like dust specks in a, in a sunbeam. And so there's actually floaties both underwater and above water pretty much in the whole show. Um, so lots of fun ways of connecting those two worlds visually. Um, another fun thing in Unicorn Land was that we we didn't want there we didn't want the unicorn environment to feel manufactured or like that they'd been cutting down trees to build stuff out of wood and stuff like that. So we came up with uh, this thing we called uniform, which is like this magical sort of glassy plastic material that the unicorns can make stuff out of. So like there's a whole marketplace with all these little uh, vendor booths and all of the booths are made out of this beautiful uniform, uh, which was, you know, something we got to come up with for the show. I know there's a number of original songs and music throughout. What have you learned about kids' ability to learn through music and what makes this such an effective tool for this age? Yeah, there is, there's some great music in the show. Interestingly, um, most of our music is very um, sort of story driven and not lesson driven, particularly for me coming from Veggie Tales uh, for a long time, you know, every single episode always had like a, a song that like drove home the message in like a really explicit way. Um, the storytelling in this, or the song, uh, the song inclusion in this show is much more, um, uh, just much more natural and, you know, like there's an episode where Kelp is um, thinking about his grandmother and remembering a song that she sang, but it's just like a sweet little song. It's not like a, you know, it's not like this super like to the point uh, 
<laughs> you know, I, I love my grandmother's song or something like that. Um, but another way we used music was uh, for kelp, he's a, we call him a kinesthetic learner, but he also expresses his, uh, his feelings and emotions and sort of works through his emotions through movement sometimes. And so we took a big page from uh, Billy Elliot, if you remember that movie, um, the way that Billy would just like, he would, he would have like the dancing built up inside of him and he would just have to let it out sometimes. Um, Kelp does that as well. Or if he really has to think really hard about a problem, he might, he might dance it out instead of think it out. Um, and then there's, we do, the, the series is not a musical per se, because there's not music or songs in every episode. There is one episode um, that is a full-blown musical. And that's because we had an actor that we cast, James Monroe Eichelhart, who's a Tony-winning actor uh, from Broadway. And uh, when we got him in, we just loved his voice so much. We were like, you know, like it would be a crime to not have an episode where he like sings to us the whole time. So we we literally wrote a whole episode just around how much we loved <laughs> listening to uh, listening to James talk and sing. So there is some great music, but it's it's much more sort of naturally integrated. You've worked on a number of DreamWorks animation series from the Dragon's Rescue Riders franchise, Veggie Tales to Gabby's Dollhouse. What are those brand values that you have to keep top of mind when working across the projects? And then what sets a DreamWorks animation project apart from the rest? Yeah, that's a great question. The, uh, you know, DreamWorks, especially in the TV, we do so many different series and, and there's definitely a lot of, you know, a lot of different types of things. But one real distinctive for me sort of in the DreamWorks brand is that so often our characters are sort of the, the misunderstood misfit underdog. Um, you know, you think about characters like, like Hiccup and Toothless, like Toothless is a dragon who can't even fly, right? Like <laughs> he was such a misfit. Um, and, uh, you know, Shrek is the, like the original anti-hero. Um, well, not the original, but certainly one of the great anti-heroes. And uh, so I love how Kelp fits into that sort of, you know, brand-wise for DreamWorks. Um, I think another distinctive of our storytelling is just a real commitment to, um, to excellence, to the stories we tell, but also the way we tell them, the production values, the animation itself. You know, we have such a rich history uh, of just excellent, amazing animation in our feature films. And that's something that we really try to carry on in our in our TV series, even though we work on a very, very different <laughs> budget and, and schedule and scale than they do. Um, it's still important on, to everyone on the team that, that the production values, the animation itself is, you know, beautiful and wonderful. And then personally, one value that I always try to carry through all my productions is that how we do things is as important as what we do. And so, again, that, that uh, creating an environment of openness and generosity and mutual respect. I always say that if you can't make preschool content while being nice to people, you should go do something else. <laughs> so it's really important to me that we've got that, uh, that collaborative and respectful environment. Brian, thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes and giving us an inside look. And thanks to everyone else for tuning in. Thank you, Kristen. It's always a, a treat to get to talk about Kelp and we can't wait for people to get to meet him on June 19th on Netflix.